Good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cybersecurity Chronicles. I'm Sean Mahoney with NetSwitch, and I'm joined today by Stanley Lee, our CEO and founder of NetSwitch. Hey, Stanley. Hello, Sean, and good to talk to everyone again. <laughs> and uh, today, we've got another special guest, Jake Charon, Risk Architect with Lakeside Insurance. And if you're a regular listener to our podcast, you may recognize his name because he's joined us for some other episodes related to cyber insurance. Welcome back, Jake. Thanks, Sean. Good to be back. And Stanley, appreciate you having me on the show today. Pleasure is ours, Jake. Yeah. So, Jake... What do you want to talk about? I know <laughs> what we want to talk about. I, I, I think we're here to discuss something that we talk about on a daily basis. Yeah, it, it, it is cybersecurity and cyber risk. And as Stanley talks about often, and we've had these conversations, cyber liability insurance is the last line of defense anymore. Uh, it can't be that first line of defense that everybody was using, particularly with the small and mid-sized businesses, where they relied upon that as basically their cybersecurity. If something happens, they'll pay for it to get it back. Well, those days are over, Not right, anymore. Jake? <laughs> Fortunately and unfortunately, those days are gone. <laughs> yeah. So the a risk that we see often, um, you know, it's an easy target for a lot of the attackers are those school districts, K through twelve school districts across the country. Um, and you know the risks that the school district administrators are responsible for dealing because they're like the CEOs, the presidents of the organization, um, are no different in a school district, K through 12, or a college or a university. Same sets of data, same risks that they need to deal with. So Jake, let's kind of take let's try to take a step. How would, uh, a school district administrator really sort of need to start the conversation internally um, from your perspective in regard to insurance. And then we're going to ask Stanley sort of how should they have that conversation internally from an organizational structures. Yeah, and actually, let me give the audience a little bit more background why we're picking on <laughs> the K to twelve, right? Because it's start a school year. <laughs> Well, it's the scholar school year, and also all of a sudden I got an influx of people, you know, that joined from our CRG group, the cyber risk governance groups in LinkedIn, and basically start reaching out to me because they have this concern, part of our social responsibility, try to, you know, look into how we can educate, you know, elevate the cognizance. We talked about that, but then in their subject of conversation start keep coming back into talking about, yes, we got this school districts and, you know, they don't have enough IT resource. They forget about cybersecurity resource or even compliance. So how can we address um, the, the, you know, cyber insurance? Because now the cyber insurance company, people like Jake asking them, well, here's a bunch of questions you need to fill it out, show us the evidence so we can start the application process. Yeah. And that become a panic mode in a sense. And at the same time that we coming from, you know, okay, we not a city planner, for, so we don't get involved into early in the stage and to plan this out, offer send, well, we got 30 days we need to comply, 60 days we need to get this application going. Mm -hmm. You know, the best is like we got 90 days we need to com complete all of this. 
So we are the firefighters of the town now. So we come in and address. So that's why we're having this podcast and try to right. learn from the expert like Jake. How can we go back into doing this as a city planner so that we can plan this out for our audience rather than coming back as a firefighter and fight a fire and rebuild the town from scratch? And, and so the conversation, I think, Jake, really should be, you know, where does that school administrator start the conversation internally about their insurance coverage to then turn back to uh, cyber risk specialists to set the table to then have the conversation with you specifically about cyber liability coverage and what that process looks like. Yeah, no, and, and that's all, all great points and, and good conversation for us to kind of discuss. And Stanley, it's, a, it's an awesome analogy that you give the way that you're kind of describing it because we don't want to be a firefighter. We don't want to have to be putting out fires and dealing with things in the 25th hour when bad things have happened to our clients, unfortunately. It's how can we be proactive in these situations rather than reactive? So for the school standpoint, it's first, obviously, budget is always going to be important, <laughs> and that's something that you're going to have to factor into your budget, right? Yep. But looking at it from a school perspective, do they have a chief technology officer or is somebody wearing a lot of different hats? Is there somebody at the district level that they can talk to rather than just internally at their school? And in general, I know that in a lot of industries, in insurance, in tech, we talk to a lot of our counterparts and we hear what's going on within the industry. And so I think a crucial thing too would be to reach out to other districts around you, whether that's at a conference over the summer as you're taking off time, or that is throughout the year. It's really to kind of find a messaging board and listening out to people and asking the right questions. Because if you've never had to dive down this path, how would you know the answer to any of these questions? So first, it's kind of taking back, and like you said, Stanley, let's let's plan the city from scratch. Well, what do we currently have in place? What are best practices for the school and academic industry? And then where do we want to go with it, and how is this going to affect our school, our kind of starting points from a risk perspective, right? So it's not just how do we get an insurance policy and make sure that it covers us, like you said, Sean. It's no, let's, let's be proactive. Let's do the right measures. Let's put cybersecurity protocols in place. Let's create a cyber incident response plan. And then obviously with schools, it does trickle down a lot more because it's not just endpoint users that are the teachers and the faculty. Now we're looking at hundreds of students that are also using our computers on a daily basis. So the variables at a school are, are definitely very wide. And so putting your arms around that at first, rather than just trying to take it one at a time and look at it from a whole perspective, I think it's kind of a really good starting point. And, and school districts are going to have a lot of different insurance policies to begin with. And a, a liability policy, a standard liability policy, is not necessarily a cyber policy, correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Just if somebody slips and falls out in the parking lot when it's snowy in the winter time, or if there's a flood and now the building is in trouble that's not going to cover you or your data in any situation like that. And the important part for the school, as you all know, and, and obviously the listeners at home, there's a lot of proprietary information on all these students. You've got their health records, you've got their social security, their date of birth. I mean, for the health information too, I know most schools, you can't go to school as a five-year-old if you haven't had your shots. Okay. When did Jake have all of his shots? Let's see what Stanley's shot record looks like, and now we're looking at vaccinations and things like that. So you really do have 
a lot of really important information at the schools. And as a parent of someone whose kids are out at school all day, you obviously have to be concerned about every single thing. And the last thing you want to be concerned about is the school your ch children attends doesn't have the right cybersecurity and now my children's information is breached. I mean, that's again, as a parent, there's so many million things you're concerned about. That's kind of the last thing that I think that anyone wants to have to think about on a daily basis. Right. And with as connected as our kids are anymore between uh, phones that they might have, not necessarily kindergartners running around with phones, but I imagine some places <laughs> they are. Um, but they're given devices at school. They have devices at home. So they're surrounded by devices all the time. And the fact that that in an attack, they are so much personal information, even to educational accommodations that could be used for social engineering, for a social attack by email against these kids, or to, you know, to embarrass them or something like that, those risks are there. So, you know, Stanley, one of the things that I know some of the conversations we've had with some school districts is that these new data privacy laws, schools are not exempt from the penalties that come from these new state laws. Well, that and was one of the regulations, you know, that, that we saw is coming is because now, well, let's use California where I live as yeah. an example, right? You know, California consumer, consumer privacy law, yes, is currently being exempted from the school district. To it, a certain it, not degree. anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> I, I, I should say, yeah, it used to be, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's now in that blurry line. They still, well, and what I took it from my from our legal partners to saying, okay, you know, back then you have the... Uh, a deniable possibility. You can deny it. <laughs> but now as the regulations and compliance pushing more towards that, uh, you know, the C level or the business executive level or the, you know, school principals level that they have to be more in the personal liable. So now they have to produce what is considered is, you know, evidence um, to support that they are following the best practice. And that has a lot to take on just then that statement is, itself already. Yeah, the legal defensibility. The legal defensibility, thank yeah. you. You know, So this is the part that now how can we produce the legally defensibility evidence artifact yeah. to support the IT, which you know we talked about in the beginning a few minutes ago. It's right now who's in charge of this? Is this, you know, is the teacher still in charge that because he's, he or she is teaching, you know, uh, computer science or, or, or I don't know what is it called now. I'm old, so I don't know what the <laughs> classes are. So, you know, uh, are they responsible because I'm teaching that course now all of a sudden I'm the IT manager and have possibly to be personal liable for the potential data breach? And that's why we want to bring in Jake's, you know, from the last line of defense. Now it becomes the first line of defense. Let's look at it from our risk architect perspective, you know, to engage with that conversation. And you know, our point of view from Nestwitch that we have been working on so many, it's still the three steps to care process, right? Yeah. First step is known the unknown. You know, how do you build the building blocks with the internal resources? And then the third is continuous measuring and monitoring so nobody get into any trouble. So those are the three steps has not changed. But of course, when it come, when it applies to a particular industry segment, 
and organization, each one of them has their own works needs to be defined, own objective needs to be clarified and communicate from the top to the bottom and from the bottom feeds the data back to the top and making sure that they continue to be measured and monitored in that direction as cyber resilience maturity. So with that, I think that I think I would ask Jake this question. What would you do if you are one of the principals, you know, coming from, you know, cyber insurance perspective? Because like I said, now it becomes, you know, used to be the last line. Now it becomes the first line of defense in a sense. Yeah, no, and, and it's a good point, too, when looking at it, when designing the plan. I think first it's like like we discussed who is in charge, who's involved, and let's get the right people in the room to at least have these conversations to get things started. Then it's to understand what do we currently have in place from a cybersecurity measure. And it's not to hurt anyone's feelings or get upset if you don't have the right things in place because at least you're taking the right measures to get there. So that's, I think, one thing that a lot of people are still trying to round the corner of. And, and what we always say is we're, we're trying to change that narrative. It's not let's be scared of what we're doing, and it's actually let's let's be excited that we're we're able to and willing to take the right steps. Um, I think you touched on a great point. Something I was going to touch on too: figure out what your state's laws are. Every law is changing within your state constantly, and making yeah. sure that you're aware of that is crucial. Like you said, California, you've got the California Consumer Protection Act. Colorado, we now have the Colorado Privacy Act where I live. So it's, again, do you know your reporting requirements if you do have a breach? I mean, here in Colorado, if you have 500 Coloradans personally identifiable information, which most school districts will have that because there's going to be at least 500 kids at the school, and they have a breach, well, do you know where to go with it, who to turn to, and how you're technically supposed to report it? And those notification costs, are extremely expensive. So that's where that last line of defense of your cyber insurance policy comes in because you're dealing with cybersecurity pros and you have a forensic team that has done analysis like this before. And I say it a lot, but fortunately, they have done this before. Unfortunately, others have dealt with it and had to go through claims in order for you to be in a better space and place moving forward. So again, that's kind of the, the start to it. And then once everyone's on board and understands that, it's bringing in a team like NetSwitch that knows and understands, hey, you might think this is your risk, but let's look at it from a huge big picture thing and really understand, okay, it's not just figuring it out up front, but then how do we continue to monitor it? And it's that monitoring stage throughout the year. Um, and we can go back to the fire example. You don't just get one test to see how the building is every five years. You're constantly getting tests. Mm -hmm. You're seeing how everything's running. Right. We're testing our fire extinguishers to say, okay, every classroom has a good fire extinguisher. Well, to, to that defense, does every classroom have a teacher that knows what to do with the fire extinguisher <laughs> or, or, or put it in the cyber sense so they know what to do in a breach? So yeah. it's all these analogies, we, we laugh about them, but they all line right. up so perfectly in our world. And it at least allows kind of the regular person that's not living in the cybersecurity world every day to say, okay, let me take a step back and look at this in a different perspective. And I think that really, again, it's, it's that awareness. Are you aware of what, where you're at? And where do you want to go? Because it's not just you and your school on the line. It's all the kids and all the parents that you're dealing with every day, too. Yeah, and, and the way the schools are set up nowadays, uh, there's so many third-party 
applications that are integrated to their teaching processes now, communicating with the students, communicating with the parents, taking lunch money in, uh, those sort of things. And those all bring their own sort of risk. Um, how, how should they go about evaluating where their risk is from a, from a vendor standpoint of all these uh, software as a service that they're integrated into? Yeah, well, the part of it, you know, now we're going back into like a BYOD and all this, you know, IT or technology element in one sense that it's wider and wider. On the other sense is now it's like from the measure and monitoring perspective, how do you rule them out, first of all? And I think from, you know, evaluation of the risk perspective, you know, it's not necessary that we have to consider everything that within right. the, uh, the, the environment, right? So what are the most critical um, uh, devices that is impacting? And every organization is different because some might be, hey, I don't have any critical because I've been using everything on the cloud perspective. Okay, great. You know, and but do they have any application being developed? Um, you know, all this technology controls or technical control as we we refer, it might not be the priority. The, my, the priority is like going back into what I said is to become the cyber insurance. Can we even get a policy just in case something happened that we have the coverage? It's just like we, you know, back then, we, you know, 30 years ago, life insurance is, or 50 years ago, life insurance is not a big deal. Nobody wants, nobody cares about life insurance. And then all of a sudden now it becomes part of our life. And when we got to have life insurance, the same thing with the auto insurance. You know, when I start learning how to drive, yeah, just having a third party liability is good enough. And then you got to now consider full coverage because the car is getting more expensive and things like that. But then as the car getting older, you can go back into a third liability. And that's part of the risk appetite that we keep referring to. And every organization's decision makers have their own risk appetite that they can balance with the budget, balance with the environment. And so the communications like Jake is talking about, changing the narrative is the first place. And then from there, we can look at, and then starting with the communications, what are the priorities? What are the priorities needs to address based on the budget? So I can have a balance with my budget plan. You know, do I come in with a fire hose or do I come in with the fire extinguisher? That type of environment, going back into our analogy. So it's not necessary that we have to bring in a fire hose or, you know, a firefighting team. You can just put out the fire with fire extinguisher. We'll bring in squirt guns. Yeah, or squirt <laughs> gun, right? So, yeah. So this is the type of, you know, we want to change that narrative and we want to help people to start changing the narrative. And that's why Jake Educate, you know, us a few months ago, and I consolidating four insurance companies requirement into one um, assessment questionnaire. 
And if anybody want to, you know, get that, just contact us and we're happy to send it to them. And that's just to help themselves to look at those questions and have a communication with the internal team. Can we do this? Have we done that? And that's all it takes. If we have done that, great. Then, you know, that it's starting to narrowing what needs to be spent on and what I said, like a building block. What is our next building block? Right, and that's, that starts the conversation when they start to talk to Jake or us uh, about where do they start. That, that uh, assessment is pretty straightforward and covers a lot of different things. The thing is just go through the checklist. Do we do this? They can sit down with the team. Do we do this? Yes, no. Do we do this? Yes, no. And then they're able to talk to you know all of us and say, okay, these are the things we don't do. Any suggestions? Yeah, we have suggestions. We always have opinions. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it's really then working with, with the broker to go forward. Okay, we've done this. We've done this checklist. We're ready to talk to somebody. And then uh, kind of going through that, the next, the official checklist that they get from whoever they're going to get coverage from and answering those questions. So, Jake, it, what what are some of the key things from a from a broker standpoint that you deal with when you're dealing with school districts? What are some of the key things that you're looking for in those conversations that you're going to start the conversation with them? Or some of the case study that you run into that yeah. might be helpful. Yeah, no, and, and that that's something that's definitely important to touch on. So, I mean, when looking at kind of some of the most important things that a school should have in place, cybersecurity perspective. Obviously, I'm going to let you guys touch on that from your end because it's that you guys live in the are the pros in that space. But from my end, when we look at it from a risk and liability standpoint, we're looking at what's your privacy liability. So, what are you collecting? How are you collecting it? Is that your staff's information? Is that the student's information? Is that the parents of the student's information too? I mean, you're not just taking Jake to school and. Stanley to school without making sure that you have all their parents' information to know where they live, who they are, kind of where they came from, what's their background, um, and things like that. And then not only the privacy now, but what about the privacy in the future? What happens when our kids graduate? Where do we yep. take that information? Again, this stuff can just be sitting there forever, and it's really important to understand that. Then I touched on it before, and I'll touch on it again, but it's those notification costs. What are you doing? Do they, I don't know, take credit cards for any information? Maybe that if the kids have Friday special lunch or something and they're taking a credit yep. card or kids are getting school at lunch, now we're taking credit cards. Are you PCI compliant? Now we touch on it to another level for the notification. What do our nurses do at school when they're taking a kid in to see if they're sick or taking their temperature and making sure that they're safe or healthy that day? Are we HIPAA compliant? And now we're touching on a bunch of different things that you might say, well, why would a school need to be HIPAA compliant or PCI compliant? But it's until you kind of, right, take, take a step back, look at it from another lens and really understand it. And, and lastly, I would say cybercrime, right? Cyber criminals are there to steal any money they possibly can. They're no stranger to extortion and ransomware. They don't care who you are, where you're from, or where you're gonna be going they can get some sort of ransom payment, they're gonna come after you. So again, I, I touch on a lot of these different points. There are case studies and things that have happened in the past. One example that I have 
um, is at a school district in Missouri. They suffered a, a data breach, and this was for not just the elementary, but also for middle and high schoolers. And it was 10,000 current, past um, employees and students that had all their information compromised, and it went authorized without people knowing. So imagine all of your information or your kids' information being breached, and you have no idea, and for whatever reason, it ends up on the dark web. So I mean, this, this certain study um, that I read about took four months until the attack happened for them to figure it out. So who is doing your monitoring? Someone like NetSwitch that knows what's going on and is making sure that they're watching in the background while you're able to do your day-to-day. -day. So again, there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that I kind of described, but from the risk standpoint, that's what we're mostly concerned about. And from the cybersecurity standpoint, I'm interested to hear too where you guys see and feel with academic institutions, what are the most important steps and where are you guys looking at it from a cybersecurity standpoint as, as well as obviously kind of my, my side of the house on the risk? Well, I, I think it's the same thing where we're pushing it from a cyber risk management perspective, because what everything you mentioned has to be makes sense. And a lot of organizations that we met, they already have a lot of tools out in, in there. You know, it's like, and then of course they concerning about the cost issue. But, you know, I think that going back in from the risk management where we starting off from is to basically comes back down into three questions. I don't care, you know, what kind of organizations or size or, or industry you are in is what kind of compliance do you know that you have to meet or regulations that you have to meet? And then the second question is, you know, what kind of internal resource do you have and where do you see lack of the resource to bridge that gap, you know, or even fill in the the communication from risk management perspective or cyber insurance perspective. And that's where, you know, there's just the communication part of it. And then the third part of it, you know, after you know what the compliance as an objective, you identify internal resource or existing resource you already have, then you can pull out the data and put it into the data visualization perspective to make the conversation easier. And then the third part is how do you continue to measure and monitoring and risk with the respective of budget planning purposes mm -hmm. because now hey you don't just build a city with oh i want a, a building here i want a <laughs> building there you want to know okay what kind of street that we want to build what kind of road we want to build well how big is the road is it a falling highway a two-lane that changed the budget plan so right. all of that is without the number one and number two question we cannot get to the number three and so Again, I, I, I try to paint the picture from elevating Connison's perspective, right? The awareness and the knowledge all the time. That's now number one mission. And the mission is just to change the narrative, just to start the communication. Then you can identify who do we need to collaborate all these conversations with. And to a lot of people's surprise, just because they changed the narrative, now they are where all the where the resource they can continue this communication. Now they have a game plan. Yes, they are not the professionals that they, but they they have a better game plan than two weeks ago just by having conversations. Yep. Then at this point that. You know, in the second number two question number two, okay, you know, we now know, oh, we need Lexite insurance, you know, to evaluate our coverage, to making sure that we are covered under cyber or data attack. 
hey, that doesn't cost them anything. That's just another communication, but it's get them ahead in terms of the proactiveness. And now they are aware of what the potential cost might be. Then they can start planning the budget and start measuring and monitoring what they're doing. As simple as one, two, three. Yeah, and, and as far as the solutions, one of the things we often talk about is open source. There's a lot of free tools out there, right, Stanley? Absolutely. Yeah, so That's always budget, advocate that. Look for those. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Jake, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for your insight. And you always have a lot of information for us about uh, cyber insurance whenever we need to talk about it. Stanley, thanks for joining me today. To everybody listening, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cybersecurity Chronicles. If you'd like to know more about Jake, you can find him on LinkedIn at Jake, J-A-K-E, Charon, C-H-A-R-E-N. You can find him on LinkedIn with Lakeside Insurance. I'm with NetSwitch. You can look for us on LinkedIn and look to join us on our Cyber Risk Governance LinkedIn group, the number one group about cyber risk on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Jake. Take care. Thank you, Sean.